Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. Wow. It is so cool. We've got a powerful, powerful, powerful lineup for all of you today. You know, I love being able to bring to you, uh, thanks to Linda and some of the great people out there that are really looking at what are folks talking about? You know, what's going on? What is the energy that we have in the world today? What do we know about it? And what do we need to learn about it? See, I like the what do we need to learn part about it, right? And so today, for many of you, you're going to hear two fascinating on the edge of energy. You're going to hear about energy from an archaeological perspective, and we're going to bring you from ancient, ancient to current times. Then we're going to talk about the energy of what we eat, what we plant, and how we are treating Mother Nature. But funny enough, both of these are related. Today, Dr. Heather Lynn is joining me here today, professional historian, renegade archaeologist. I love that renegade. Benny, don't you love the renegade word? Like uh, renegade, oh, renegade. Oh, it's not renegade or renegade. I made up a new word. I, I thought you did. You. I was like, wow, yeah. I like that one too. Yeah, renegade is like what they say. Renegade <laughs> means that you are up-leveling. Aha. You're up-leveling your rebellious nature. Nice. Yeah. I don't think I don't think Heather knew that we were going to go there, <laughs> um, but she did something that I did. Left the academic world. Why? I don't know why she left, but that's a whole nother show here today. What we're going to look at is what our fascination is with the unexplained. What we, what it does to lead us down the pathway. She and I both did it, but in two different arenas. And then we in search of what? Is there anything to be said about how our pop culture today is revitalizing lost civilization, folklore, hidden history, ancient aliens, any and all of the above? Are you all surprised about the mystery of this that's being brought forward? Are you surprised at all about how in the world now, and I call it pop culture, but I don't even like that term. Uh, I'd like to call it prep culture because this prep culture is preparing us for a vision of what was once before and what is to come. Whether you are in awe about why Aquaman talked about saving the earth or you're thinking about the ancient evils of the world, the demons, the possessions, you know, what some of these sinister relics are all about. And no, I'm not talking about politics, but if you are interested in this, this show is for you. Uh, Dr. Heather Lynn, right here, right now. Dr. Lynn, great to have you. It is great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So I want to start out with this list fascination I have. So you and I are both investigators. Uh, I wish I would investigate stuff that you do. You're having so much fun. Right. So <laughs> you're having way more fun than I'm having. Okay. Yes. Okay. So look, I watch ancient aliens. Oh, no. Do I really? I do. But what I'm fascinated about is the research and the science. I'm not even sure why we call them ancient aliens, because the history that gets presented and I love the way that the, uh, the, the history, the, I think it's a history channel, but I love the way that they roll this out and they bring science in and they bring investigation in. So I want to ask you, you left the academic world. What were you in search of? See, that's a TV show too, right? In search of? What were you <laughs> <Exactly>. in search of? 
Well, uh, that's 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 a really good question. I think I was just in search of the truth. And the truth is a word that gets thrown around a lot lately that just, it almost has this absolutist, scientific, reductionist aspect to it. But I think there are multiple types of truth. I think there's clearly scientific truth, and I think there's metaphysical truth. And I think for me, I started looking for metaphysical truth. That led me to look for the scientific truth. And then strangely, it circled back to the metaphysical truth. And I realized that these truths aren't in opposition. They actually work together. And then so I think what I've been looking for all this time is a mechanism for the integration of scientific truth and metaphysical truth. And so that's sort of my quest as of now. Okay. As you do that and you step out into the world, I got to know what I've been asking this question 15 years. So (laughs) brace yourself. What challenges, what obstacles, right? Did you have to personally overcome to bring you to this very moment? Well, uh, I think we all, I think that that is a very good question. So for me personally, I mean, yes, there's the renegade archaeology part of it where it's a professional you know, journey, but the per- that that's fueled obviously by the per- but very personal. So my personal, I guess, motivation or or the the linchpin, um, it really came to. I didn't have the best background growing up. I left home at 16 years old and traveled the country, and uh, you know I didn't finish high school. And some people have a gap year in between high school and college. I joke that well, the years of my high school was actually my gap years. So I, I sort of did things a little backwards. So I took some time out and, you know, you could look at it as a big mistake. I don't think any mother wants to see their 16-year-old child going out and uh, never coming back home and uh, to who knows what lies beyond that. Um, But it was a learning experience. uh, A big part of that was meeting different people and listening to their stories and finding out there were a lot of different ways to look at the world. And it led me back to, you know, do what I wanted to do, which was go back to school and, and study these things. But I think that it really did start with this quest for truth and knowledge and just uh, to break away. I think I've always been a renegade in that sense. I wanted to just leave and, and search for answers on my own. And so, yeah, a very personal, personal story for me. And uh, that led me, I think to this day, I just have that spirit to me that I'm just, you know, always looking for alternative answers, looking for the truth, maybe underneath the rocks where people ignore the truth. So as we look at this and we look at, and, and let's go back and, and take a look for a minute at the book. For those of you just joining me here today, um, as I mentioned, I'm really thrilled, really thrilled to have Dr. Heatherland joining me here today. She wrote a great book, a fabulous book. I mean, there's more in this book than I can even imagine. That explains a lot. It explains a lot for those of us that have either had experiences or that we look at experiences in the world. The book is called Evil uh, Archaeology, Demons, Possessions, and Sinisters, uh, Sinister Relics. But this, is this myth or is this reality? And so the book really takes us on a journey about how in our culture today we tend to, let's say, create mythology to explain things that have been demonstrated, investigated, and proven. And so, you know, what you do in this book, you take us on a journey. Uh, The fact that I I read the book and I looked at so many stories, right, and looked at how many times perhaps in any one of our lives we would have had a circumstance that could replicate some of the more known, more known uh, examples and uh, demonstrations in the book. Let me ask you this question. Um, What is it like to have to go back and investigate as you did and then bring this forward in a book, right? Because it's so easy for us to, to, to really look at what happens and what's said on the Internet. It's another thing to be you and actually do some work to present it, right? Right. Yes, (laughs) it can be um, very uh, exhausting. Uh, but not because of any sort of labor, but the emotional investment, the ups and the downs and the things that you find that actually challenge your pre-existing beliefs when you go into a project like this and then the things that you learn. So it's definitely a, a process and it can be very challenging and exhausting, um, but all good things 
uh, you know, do that. So I, I would hope that afterwards there's a, a growth or a payoff. But um, I think, you know, in, in investigating these topics, they're topics that some people don't want to look at. And understandably, they can be very negative. And then, of course, there's the idea of alternative theories. Um, you know, you mentioned things like ancient aliens and all these. And there's the scientific approach to things. And then there's the you know, the fringe element that can be very alluring. And it, it also can be divisive. And some people are, you know, not very happy with that alternative look to things. Um, they really want to stick with the science and only the science. Um, but in my view, I think the alternative theories are sort of like mushrooms in the forest of human understanding. Some can be deadly poison, some are benign, and others may be psychedelic and heavy mind expansion vehicles. And so we don't handle the toxic ones by destroying all the mushrooms. And we don't ban people from the forest, or at least we shouldn't. Um, so so I think the best way to deal with these sorts of mushrooms is to teach people the necessary skills to identify which ones are good, bad, or neutral. And so in this process of writing a book like this, there's that balance. There's this, how how do you present this negative information, but then counterbalance it with the, with the good and the positive and what we can glean from it. And so that entire process of considering what are the facts, what are important pieces of, uh, you know, what are important elements to include that can perhaps give somebody a different outlook and, and expand their thinking or challenge it too. Uh, while keeping with a general thesis and the truth, it can be very exhausting. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it can be yeah. challenging. Um, and, uh, but all good things, uh, that are, that are worth doing are that way. So, yeah, you know, one of the things too, uh, that we're going to talk about as we move forward is we're going to talk about what the message is and meaning, you know, what is it about this that is so freeing? And what I mean by that is I, you know, the, what I love is what you wrote in the book for those who fear what isn't known, let light reveal what isn't shown. That's the way this book starts. That's the way our conversation will start. When we come back, we're going to take a look at everything from the devil made me do it. No, we're not going to talk about Lucifer, the TV show, but we might, uh, to looking at some of the most horrific archaeological finds. Thanks to Dr. Heather Lynn. We'll be right back. Join the new earth on the Cornelia Stephanie show. Tune in each month as Cornelia takes listeners on an odyssey of higher consciousness to inspire, educate, and empower. Cornelia Stephanie is a spiritual teacher, passionate speaker, published author, and founder of the Empower Network. Cornelia guides people on the path of self-healing, peace, and liberation. For more information, go to CorneliaStephanie.com. Hi, I'm Laura Meeks, and the most common problem that my clients face is all work and no play. This is why I created Fly High Living. I help you develop a balanced life plan and guide you to a place where you love to wake up in the morning. Call 888-666-1570 or go to flyhighliving.com to sign up for the four-week Flight Plan for Life course. Do you want the knowledge and wisdom to understand where spirituality, science, and psychology intersect? Then join the Karmic Path Radio Show with Tina and Laura on TransformationTalkRadio.com, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Pacific. Follow this charmingly, disarmingly dynamic duo as they explore how psychic ability, spirituality, and karmic law tie together. For more information on Tina, Laura, and their groundbreaking work, visit TheKarmicPath.com. The Truth is Funny, Shift Happens with Colette Marie Steffen is excited to welcome Karen Benton as a monthly guest host. Tune in on the third Wednesday of each month at 8 a.m. Pacific time to regain confidence and trust in your capacity to create change in your life, your health, your family, and your well-being. Karen Benton is a mother, nurse practitioner, certified body talk practitioner, Franklin Method instructor, and owner of Limitless Living, LLC. For more information about Karen, visit karenbenton.com. Learn and explore fascinating and practical uses of essential oils, how to use them, and how they can enhance your everyday life. The Oil Lounge was founded by three remarkable women with fascinating stories about how essential oils changed their lives. Tina and Laura from The Karmic Path have joined forces to educate the masses in the benefits of Young Living Essential Oils. For more information, visit theoillounge.com. 
Are you feeling stuck in unhealthy habits, toxic relationships, or low self-esteem? Do you crave a healthy relationship filled with inspiration? You might just be on the verge, on the verge of attracting your soulmate. Tune in each month to The Laura Richer Show, where dating coach Laura Richer share tools for using your dating breakdown for a relationship breakthrough. For more information, visit richerhealinghypnosis.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back. Yeah, very cool. Dr. Heather Lynn is joining me here today. Um, you know, before we really, really dig into this, I would love for you to tell folks, first of all, how they can get a copy of the book and then how they can find out more about you because you're super interesting. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, well, uh, they can go to my website at www.drheatherlynn.com. Uh, and there you'll find everything you need to know about me and how to get my books. My books are available on Amazon, of course, and um, they're in Kindle, audiobook, paperback, but they're also available at Barnes and Noble. And, uh, you know, any, any, anywhere good books are sold, uh, especially I would encourage people to go to their indie bookstores and, uh, you know, keep them going. They really need the help. So, definitely go there as well. Yeah. I mean, I encourage that as well. I mean, there's so much that uh, folks can do. Um, also, didn't you put this on Audible? Don't you have a audio yes. version? Yes. Okay. It's yeah, on yeah. Audible as well. Okay. All right. Yeah. I just want to make sure. Um, many questions, many directions. Um, I think that what I was fascinated by when I read the book is how in our everyday life, there is the possibility of an experience. I'm just going to call it that. I'm like, I'm just going to say like an experience. I know for me, I've had different points in time in my life where I've had an experience that nobody believed. And of course, at age eight years old, I was sent to a psychiatrist. But here we are. For those who fear what isn't known, let light reveal what isn't shown. Tell me how that quote so resonates with you and how some of what you discovered uh, along the way now shines the light on so many things. Well, I think what it is is when you enter a project like this or even just enter a book or any topic, you, you sort of go in with this anticipation uh, or a fear maybe. Um, and I also reference Aristotle in the book, his uh, quote, um, fear is the anticipation of evil. So this idea of fear is something that I wanted to address as well. Um, I'm, I'm reminded of a, a belief in the Episcopalian faith, which I'm a member of. Uh, the opposite of faith is not doubt, but fear. Mm. And so it's one thing to doubt and question. That's very important. And so this whole book is a is a exercise in questioning and in some ways doubting. Uh, but what it, it there needs to be is a recognition that fear is really at the heart of, of some of our, our suffering and, and the things that hold us back. And so to shine the light on that is very important. And I think what evil archaeology may be able to teach us about human history and, and culture at large is that the evil we see in sinister relics or tend to see uh, may really just be a reflection of the evil we fear in ourselves and each other. So I, I look at these artifacts and experiences people have had and and take them one by one uh, and and dissect whether or not these were really based in, in an idea of evil or if there was something else to it um, and it, it really it it's it requires the idea of context uh, context in archaeology is um, an analysis of how an artifact got there in its place and, and what has happened to it since. And so it's very easy in a scientific-based discipline to become focused on, say, the sites and the relics and miss the broader relevance of the discovery with regard to history and culture. But without context, sites like Stonehenge can just look like a pile of rocks. And without context, these demonic figurines or, or images that we see, like gargoyles, start to look like cartoon characters. And so it's it really... It takes this idea of the narrative that surrounds it and the context so that you really understand what is going on, what maybe Jungian archetypes are being expressed through this, and, and you know, what does that mean and how does that resonate to people? And so it's a digging deep, if you don't mind the pun. I <laughs> know <laughs> I, love, I love the pun. I love the pun uh, because I think for, for many of us, especially those of us that spent some time in the academic world, I think one of the things we start to realize is to be part of that kind of program, you know, we are required by an entire army of people 
that are in the academic world to very rigorous uh, investigation and study um, uh, standards. And so you've had to you've had to dig deep for your venue. I've had to dig deep for mine. And the digging deep allows us to bring forth that which was never said before. Um, I want to ask you, because there's so much in the book that I was really struck by, including really looking at some of what has been said by ancient cultures, some of what has been said um, in scripture. Uh, I, I want to ask you, which aspects of what you discovered, and this is this is one of those questions where, you, you know, uh, I was so curious to see what you'd say. Which one or several of what you discovered do you think we are trying to represent in our culture today through our pop culture, through movies, through things that we would never thought in a million years would be so popular? I mean, for example, who know who knew that, oh, I'm going to mention it, a television series called Lucifer would have millions and millions of viewers, right? Who knew that movies that are out about exactly some of the things you're talking about would become so popular? And so which of these discoveries do you think best translates to our culture today, at least in the U.S., maybe other places? Hmm. That that is a that is a very good question because that that's sort of the broader idea of this is to, you know, the question everybody wants to know, what is evil and 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 what place does it have in our culture today and and why are we so drawn to it? Why do we watch these uh, depictions and, you know, what is it that has us so fascinated by this? Um, yeah, so I think in my research uh, for this book specifically, something that I found to be equally disturbing to most people. Uh, we're, we're probably two different things. Mm -hmm. um, the the imagery of demons that have been depicted throughout time that seem to be, they, they seem to have a, a relatedness. So cross-culturally and cross uh, different religions and cross time, uh, you have this, this significant, I, I would say this thing that emerges. So you have demons that look like half animal and half human, and that's something that we see a lot, and to varying degrees. And some of the demons may just be human figures with maybe yeah. a wing or a horn. Um, but I think that really, that really is, is a unifying factor because what it does, it speaks to the question of man being made in the image of God. And so man has this divine aspect. And so anything less than that is is blasphemous. So when you take an image of this divine, this, this human, and you put it with a more bestial-like characteristic of an animal with claws or horns, it somehow is degrading the idea of the divine. I think that's, that's sort of the archetypal thing that's going on and why you see so many of these demons looking like these half-animal, half-beast. It's trying to rectify the civil with the uncivil. And so I think when you see the artifacts as well that are the human remains and not just the, you know, the artifacts themselves, the human remains, remains would be the ecofacts. Um, you see the most frightening ones are when you take the human body and you arrange them in ways that are quite frightening. And so with vampire graveyards, you'll find that people who believe that these people who had passed were actually vampires, they do things to desecrate their body. They put a brick in their mouth or they p physically pin them to the, the, the ground or they remove their legs or they put something backwards. They, they make it so that if in case this being were to rise again, that they would not be able to successfully and they would not have the powers they had in life to do harm. Again, you'll find images of um, just burials with, say, pits of just severed hands alone, or you find the Capuchin Crypt, a crypt that is made up of about 4,000 friars and uh, local orphans that they've decorated their church with the remains of all these people, these femurs and knuckle joints and hip bones, all in these elaborate positions like candelabras or you know, chandeliers, and they're quite beautiful, but then very macabre when you see that what you're looking at are the remains of individual beings. And so in a way, it's another aspect of the, the idea you're desecrating the human, which we've exalted to this divine status because it's us, you know, we, we revere ourselves and respect ourselves, and we relate to that. And, and if you look at the religious texts, 
this idea that the human is an abstraction or an iteration of the divine. And so I think when you look at that, it's it's us trying to deal with and understand, um, you know, where our place is in the world. And when we're faced with those frightening images or these ideas of of the demons or the the desecrated human bodies, it's like a stark reminder that, you know, not all is good and that, you know, it can be very frightening and challenge our, our ideas. And it's just very unsettling. I want to ask you this question and we'll talk about it when we come back. Uh, it's, it's one of the most bizarre questions I've ever asked, especially about a book like this, um, <laughs> where it's so revealing. And it's like, as you were doing this investigation, my question to you is, did you find something where even you, with as much knowledge as you have for as long as you've been doing this, for how out there you are about this, even you were like, holy fill in the blank. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about what is it that so fascinates us with mummies, with demons, with archetypes that we look at and even reference I love Carl Jung. Archetypes that we even reference. What did Jung see that Dr. Heather Lynn sees? We'll be right back. Introducing the Lucid Planet, a digital gathering place featuring cutting-edge, high-vibrational content that will empower and inspire you to become the greatest version of yourself. Visit the Lucid Planet today to stimulate your mind, body, and soul as you connect with a global community of like-minded people. The Lucid Planet is edited by renowned psychologist and author, Dr. Kelly Neff, who is here to help you cope with anxiety, connect to your higher purpose, uncover your true passions, and live your dreams. Dr. Kelly's fresh, compassionate perspective emphasizes growth, transformation, healing, and thriving, even in the face of adversity. Say goodbye to bad news and low vibrational media for good and become part of the larger collective of people working together to navigate the global shift of consciousness and transform the world from within. Join the planet, the Lucid Planet. Visit thelucidplanet.com. Welcome home. What the fun do I do with my shui? Are you ready to hear what your space is about you and what you're communicating to the outer world about your inner dialogue? Are you ready to create harmony in your surroundings? Then join us on Clear Speak Talk Radio with Dr. Jeanette Wolf on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Tune in every fourth Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern for current IT integrated with ancient knowledge to boost the broadcast of your space. Visit JeanetteWolf.com for more information on this amazing approach. Are you ready to shift your current beliefs about death? From debilitating pain and loss? Follow Angie Corbett Kuiper as she shares that through choice, present moment awareness, and keeping an open mind that anything is possible, even in death. Tune in to Beyond Proof Radio with Angie, redefining death and loss every first and third Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. For more, visit BeyondProof.com. On the cutting edge of the new mainstream, Christine Upchurch is passionate about bringing together science, psychology, and spirituality in a way that can be applied to our everyday lives for true transformation. The Christine Upchurch Show, stellar conversations to illuminate your journey, engages some of the most outstanding visionaries on the planet in lively dialogue to inspire you to become that bright light you're meant to be. Join Christine every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on KKNW, AM 1150, and Transformation Talk Radio. Tune in to Knowledge Book Radio with host Marge Potasic each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Through many experiences, Marge was led to the Knowledge Book, a gift to humanity in its transition to the Golden Age, and it provided the truth and the answers. She now shares information from the Knowledge Book with you each week on TransformationTalkRadio.com. For more information, Visit usa.theknowledgebook.net. Yep, fascination, 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 fascination. Um, we're going to talk about a number of things today. Uh, we're going to talk about looking at everything from guard uh, the 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 evolutionary uh, what I like to call the evolutionary notification of goddess figures, and that means once upon a time we didn't notice them, and now we do. So that's my little phrase for that. We're going to talk a little bit more about ancient Sumerian 
and why that becomes important and how Sumeria and other places are kind of sidebarred in some of the things we say in our cultures and have made it to the most incredible, large, big screen events in our culture, but they've also made it to nonfiction and fiction books. Today's show, though, with Dr. Heather Lind, is about bringing the investigation and the results of investigation, historical records, bringing it to the forefront, right? And and why is it that we can say the word exorcism and almost everybody knows what that word means? And if you don't know what it means, you know about it, right? There's a reason for some of this. But the question is, like, why? Why? Why is it? that we use the word malevolent, malevolent and, and we give that, top, that title to Angelina Jolie. Why? Here we go. Not for her personally, but in the role. Um, Dr. Lee, before we, get, we kind, of, kind of hop up, again, tell people how they can get a copy of the book, how they can find out more about you. They can go to www.drheatherlynn.com. That's drheatherlynn.com. And they can get the book through Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, pretty much everywhere. But if you go to the uh, website, it'll direct you right to where to get it. Um, okay. I ask you a question because there's so much in the book. Absolutely so much in the book. Um, there's so many things. But the, the question I had after reading this and then looking at it and then asking myself, oh, my goodness, how did she discover that? I have to ask you. As you were writing this book and on your journey, and I have two questions about this, but this is the first. What did you find that even you had to sit straight up in your chair and say, what the bleep? I would say the information about human sacrifice. So, you know, there's there's a clinical distance you can have when it comes to uh, the remains and the discoveries. But then when it comes down to the evidence of human sacrifice, in particular, I think um, the frozen Inca mummies, that that made me pause. And uh, I, had a, I had a really hard time even considering if I should put it in the book. And so in, uh, in 1996, at the top of a glacier cover volcano in uh, Peru, uh, they found the body of a 15-year-old girl. She froze to death after she was left to, a sacri- to be the sacrifice for the gods. But then three years later, archaeologists discovered three more frozen children, two girls and a boy uh, between the ages of about 8 and 14 years old. Um, these these children had been... See, the, the thing about it is, and this is, I think, what made it even more horrific for me, these weren't bones, these weren't mummies, they weren't wrapped. I mean, technically they were mummies, but not really what we had here because they were frozen were perfect bodies that still had their blood left in their beating heart like their like they, their hearts had frozen in the middle of a beat and then the blood pooled in there and stayed and and we're talking thousands of years old these these mummies you know were thousands of years old and here they were and they looked just like children and looked like they were sleeping children and they had been fattened uh, before they had been you know, taken up there, they were drugged, they were dressed in their in their finest clothes and wrapped in, you know, blankets that were beautiful, and they were not dehydrated. Um, but as I said, the body fluids uh, and the organs were just complete and, and intact, and it was just a terrible reminder of, you know, just the, the horrors of belief and these ideas how they can go go wrong, or, or it, it's very complex, and I think that's the that's the part that really just wow. I mean, yeah. So I think no, they were five hundred years five hundred years old, and they were in perfect condition. Now they've been preserved in a museum, and this has caused a lot of different, you know, uh, uh, controversy because they feel that it might be disrespectful or you know, what have you. But uh, so there have there have been arguments about that. But uh, if you were to go online and look, their pictures are available. Um, and so it's, uh, it's, it's just devastating. And, you know, mm-hmm. if you look at that as a parent, too, it's just, it's horrific. And then especially when you look at the details about, you know, they didn't go 
so happily. And the the boy, who was about seven at the time of his death, um, had gone through a traumatic event. He had been vomiting and had blood on his clothes and dislocated bones. Um, so he was putting up a fight. He didn't want to go. And so when you see stories like this, and it's just it was it was horrific. And so I think that was probably the very worst thing that I came across that that I couldn't have a real clinical distance to. It was just too personal. Oh, my God. You know, I, here's my next question for you. Um, and Benny, I think I'd like to skip the break. Um, most of the time when we engage in a body of work, right, whether it's investigatory, whether we investigate something, research it. But your heart and soul went into this book. I mean, it's really clear for me. Right. I mean, I, I know that the folks that don't know you or may not know your work, um, they may not know that this is not only your life's work, but this this is perhaps what you live and breathe for every day of your life. That and probably other things. But we're talking about this now. And so, you know, for me, for a long period of time and also let's just take my 15 year radio journey. This journey changed me. It changed me in ways that. Other publishers have been trying to get me to put in writing. You know, what has happened? I don't know how to articulate that. But I wondered about reading the book and looking at some of this and asking the question to you. Have you changed as a result of this investigation, this journey? And I wonder if you could pinpoint something in the book that comes to mind for you where you said, wow. Well, I have changed. It's uh, yeah. You're the first person to ask me that, and I'm very grateful you did, because I think that's a very important part of this. It, it started out as just a uh, an exploration. I was actually uh, spurred to write the book because of the the movie in the in the film or the movie in the book The Exorcist, the beginning yeah. scene had this archaeologist priest and you know that sort of piqued my interest and you know the he looked at the Pazuzu demon and the you know all this and so I thought, oh that's interesting. And then, you know, it just led me towards a different path. And so it started a very just maybe innocuous way. And then as I went deeper in, it was it just it changed and it changed me. And so I think the defining moment, I mean I just mentioned one that was a, a challenge uh, you know, coming across some of the information that I, I maybe wasn't prepared to face some of the more um, gruesome things and, and, you know, not just visually, but what what did it mean then in the context of, of human behavior and human possibility? And, and so all of these things started having me question ideas of morals and ethics and, you know, um, social contract even and um, yeah. Hume and, and, you know, what are we really good or are we really bad or are we blank slates and these sorts of things. So I really did take an ethical journey as a result. It was a sort of a sidebar. But um, I think what really then I guess, sealed the deal for me was um, I, pu I put it in the afterward and I, I, I wasn't sure if I should mention it. I didn't I didn't know if it would be too personal and then take away from the book. But I thought I, I had to tell people what I had gone through. So I was raised you know, a Catholic and had gone to Catholic school and, and this. And uh, as I said, I, I did leave school and went on traveling the country and I studied various faiths and beliefs and I had always been a, a seeker. And, um, you know, I found that I later became a Episcopalian. And uh, so, you know, I felt like I, I still seek, but I, I felt at least rooted in a Christian faith. Um, and so, you know, I felt pretty solid with that. And, uh, Throughout writing the book, I started having experiences, and I'm I'm a pretty skeptical person. I'm I'm pretty, you know, depersonalized when it comes to research, or at least I try to be. And I started to find that I had all these experiences that were I kept brushing off as just coincidence. And so I started to have this heart issue. I I started to have what they ended up calling inappropriate sinus tachycardia. And my heart is perfectly healthy, and they couldn't figure out why I was having these episodes of of extremely high um, heart rate and I was fainting and, you know, having these terrible reactions at, at particular times when I'd be researching some of these ancient texts. And at one point I was in a research library and had to be taken out in ambulance. And it was, it was re really strange. And after seeing many experts at the Cleveland Clinic and, you know, they finally told me, well, go to an electrophysiologist and at which they told me, well, there was some sort of electrical interference in, in my heart and they just didn't know what and they said well take a beta blocker and you know hopefully you'll feel better and and I did and that was fine but then 
I started having these weird experiences in, in my home with electricity. And at one point I was up finishing a chapter late in the night and there was a huge surge of electricity in the house that ignited an outlet. It just burst into flames oh. and it ignited a stack of National Geographic magazines that were wow. sitting there. And had I been asleep, I mean, the whole house would have just gone up in flames. So that was weird. And, you know, I just kept thinking, okay, that's strange. But then you know, I had some friends who, when I told them about writing this book, and they had come from different faiths. You know, I had friends who are Muslim telling me I need to maybe, you know, if I was going to write this book, I need to listen to this particular, you know, music and, and you know, whatever. And then I had um, somebody who said, I need to burn sage in your office. I had Christians praying for me. I've had everybody. And I thought, well, that's a little overkill, but I appreciate the care. And you go ahead and do that. And I was just sort of just dismissed it, I guess, uh, politely. But then as I got through this and I started telling, oh, the funniest thing happened. I couldn't write and I, I was really ill and it wasn't so funny to the people I was telling. They really said, well, wait a minute, this this is an attack. Yeah. And I was like, wait, I'd, I'd, yeah, okay. So I just brushed it off and brushed it off until finally, you know, my cat, whom I lovingly referred to as my research assistant, um, he had been with me for many years and uh, he kept getting weaker and inexplicably ill. Um, and in the night, the very night that I finished the book, he collapsed and the next morning he had died and that left me very sick with grief. And, you know, I, I, I had told this to a friend who was a spiritual medium and she said that she, in her belief, one of the, the books that I had purchased, um, from a thrift shop that was about witchcraft and demonology. It was her idea that mm. perhaps there was an entity attached to that. And then, you know, it had been giving me all these troubles as I was writing the book and, and then jumped into my cat and my cat was a scapegoat. And she sort of gave me a very elaborate, but not unfamiliar sort of explanation. One that I had seen echoed throughout, you know, as late as early as Mesopotamian, you know, writings, there's still this idea of scapegoats and, and attacks and spirituality. So I wasn't sure what to make of the whole thing, but I can say, you know, when you asked me earlier about, you know, writing the book, it, yeah. it was exhausting, you know, mentally and, and just as, as far as research and work goes. But there was also this element of of oppression to it where it was it was sort of a vibration a negative energy to it that just made me feel I was very glad to see that it was over. And I had mentioned that to the publisher, actually. And uh, the publisher said, oh, that's interesting, because the day that we were going to start up the you know, printer to print the book, th there was a huge storm that knocked out the electricity. And, and they were late in printing the book because of the electricity problems they were having. Mm. And I thought, OK, so, you know, of course, it, there's a lot to read into that. There's, um, you know, it's it's a. Uh, very subjective and, and they're just personal experiences. And with most human experiences, perceptions are subjective and we're prone to making connections. Um, but, you know, I no. just thought I had to put that in the oh. book to let people know that this was my truth. This is what happened. And uh, I, I learned a lot. And I'm, let's just say I'm kind of glad to have this distance. I got to I got to talk to you about this because first of all Benny let's go ahead and give some uh, copies of the books away right now 1-800-930-2819 uh, let's give copies of the book okay so I am absolutely floored by what you said throughout this hour I have been and my team has been struggling to keep this connection with you on air uh, we literally bleeped out uh, Skype unbelievably, decided it just wasn't going to connect us anymore. And so I finally got back. And so I had to ask you this question because uh, you and I have a lot of things in common. Definitely the whole Catholic school, the spiritual journey, what we've done in the world and how we are in the world. But the whole electric thing has been fascinating to me. And I'm sitting here like on the edge of my seat as you're telling your story, as I know about it. And I had to ask you about it because I think if you're listening to this show, there are things that happen in your life and sometimes they'll get blown off. Right. But it doesn't make you any more sane in understanding them. I mean, Linda's mom gave me two lamps with dragons on them. They're beautiful beautiful hand carved, right? Uh, after she passed away, they came to me. They're in my bedroom. 
There's nothing wrong with the electric circuit where I live. All the electric has been rewired. We use power surge boxes. One night, Linda and I are sitting here. She was in town visiting, Linda's mom. And I heard an explosive crash. And we're like, what the heck? The lamp had literally cracked the bottom of the dragon wood, jumped itself off of the dresser it was on, and was on the floor. And, of course, we got on the phone and called people we knew that could help us. So the reason I'm talking with you about it is because, and, and let me just tell you, uh, Dr. Lynn, thank you for sharing this. See, this is important. When you're writing a book like this, what it does for a lot of people is those of us that may have had experiences like this have probably been put in some kind of strange box, whether it be a you're non-religious, whether it be you're not sane, but we've been put in a box where people don't believe us. And so part of you telling the story is to help folks understand that there's a validation that may not come from your family and friends, but, but sometimes it's actually real, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely an act of vulnerability. I'll, I'll say that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, it's fascinating. Here I am super excited to talk to you about it. And we don't have digital issues with our technology. We built it ourselves. So the fact that I really am working or my team working to keep us connected on a device that doesn't really shut down. And that really talks to what we're talking about. I want to ask you a question. There's so many things in the book. What have you learned to help people attempt to figure things out, right? Uh, because I, I was reading one thing is he said, what's your most important advice to people on how they can protect themselves against malevolent forces? So I, I went and I, I was reading this is part of the book, right? Mm -hmm. And it says, follow these 10 steps and the devil and his minions will flee from you. And, and this I pulled right out of one of the chapters in the book right mm -hmm. and so i was reading through it um but you're talking about warrior mode uh as you say you're a friend as bill describes right warrior right. mode i love that i do too it was phenomenal i i interviewed bill bean he is an exorcist and he is a wonderful wonderful man and uh very genuine and heartfelt and he gave me great advice and that advice i passed on to others in the book Warrior mode, absolutely. Yeah, um, and I love this because if you look at what's here, I don't know if you did this comparison, probably not, because this this is now my field, right? So you and I studied two things. We're so, so very similar, I'm starting to get creepy about it. <laughs> you mentioned social contracts. I studied social and psychological contracts for 10 years in my doctoral program. Mm. Scary. Mm -hmm. My research won awards. Never been studied before, social and psychological contracts. And they transcend the human world because we make them, yes. right? Right. So they, they, they're just not. And I was able to add an element of spirituality to my research thanks to my advisor. But when I look at the list you got, do you know if you compare the list that you – everybody hears what it is. I don't want to keep everybody waiting. We have 1-800-930-2819. Three copies of the book we're giving away. You can see it for yourself. Here they go. Make God first. Make God first? Where do you hear that? Almost every 12-step – no, not almost. Every 12-step program on the planet, and you get to define the God of your understanding. There mm -hmm. you go. Make God first. Where else do you see it? The entire human potential movement. Everything from the secret to what's being taught to people that are standing up at conferences, selling you human potential courses, coaches, clients, always there. Follow the path and the teachings of Jesus. Now, in this case, it's Jesus. In other cases, it's Buddha. The question is, follow the path and the teachings of what? A power greater than yourself, somebody with wisdom that believes in benevolence and love, right? Those yes, are my words, not Yeah, Bill's. according to Bill, because he bases his exorcism exactly. practice on Christianity. Yes. So we got to go there. Build your faith. OMG, number yeah. one. Number one, Christian, Christian minister out on the pathway right now, Joel Osteen, build your faith. It's all about the building of the faith. Forgive. Course of Miracles. Forgive. Find your purpose in life. 
Wayne yes. Dyer, right? I'm just giving yes. you an example. Absolutely. Use the, po the power of positive thinking. I built an entire positive thinking, positive talk network that people told me I was crazy. Everyone now and the science and the study in my field, the psychology, we even now have positive psychology. Set goals, give to others, be grateful for everything, right? The only little prayer you need, according to Deb Engel, is thank you, God. And then the last one, walk in faith, strength, and courage, warrior model. This thing should be tattooed, right? Inevitably so. on our soul. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. love that you put it in the book. I know I've got a few minutes left. As you were writing this, did you latch on to these? Did, was there some part of this in you that said, I got to include this in the book because this is, this is pivotal in society today? I think maybe on a subconscious level, yes. Or maybe it was part of my um, desire to mitigate what I was doing uh, or what I felt that was happening to me or, or the negative energy. Um, as I said, I started the book not in warrior mode, and that was a mistake. Mm -hmm. I went through it, and uh, you know, I didn't protect myself maybe in the ways that I should have, the ways that people warned me. I just went in it maybe a little naive. And as a result, I started having these experiences. And, mm -hmm. and I think the experiences really picked up after I started to examine the darkness of, of the human nature, the, as Jung calls the shadow. Yeah. You know, when I started seeing that, maybe that left me having that bit of fear and I was shaken and I didn't have a strong faith and that let some of that negativity grab hold of me yeah. in, in, in a way. And, you know, and then I had to learn. So I think the whole book for me was a learning process that way. And, and I think after speaking with Bill and, and others and, and learning more about how to protect, um, I think that, you know, I was doing that initially as a service for anyone who read the book, but I think maybe it was my subconscious yeah. trying to do a service to me to help me get through the book. I know that that is true of me. I know that in 04, when I got deathly sick, right, mystery disease, that this radio show was put in front of me in order for me to change the direction and really move into the direction of really helping people understand in such a brilliant way that you have done is to help people understand that regardless of what may come our way, and in your case, it's super scary stuff, evil archaeology, right? I mean, in your case, I mean, everybody... This is a book like you got to read this to figure out what you need to do. But we're seeing so much in our society today, bombarded by social media 24-7. It's not all positive. It's not all good. So what your message says to me and how beautifully you've written this in the book is that these things have happened. We don't need to become them. And I wanted to thank you for that. Well, thank you. I'm so glad that that's what you took away from it. I was hoping that that message, that a positive message is what people would have after this. And it, it is a dark, it, it starts out dark and it, it travels through. But again, in mythology, we see that universal message of you have to go down to the underworld in order to come back up. And so that traveling to the underworld might be part of the beginning of the book. But as a result of having faith and, and uh, looking at the good in humanity, uh, I think we come out better on the other side. Yeah, almost every almost every story that has probably ever been told in mythology or otherwise inevitably has the heroine, uh, whoever he or she might be, travel to the bowels yes. of darkness only to rise up. And thank you for enabling and empowering us to do that. Uh, Dr. Heather Lynn, everybody. Thank you, Heather. Thank you for today. Thank you so much for having me. It was really special. Thank you. Wow, this is such a cool thing. I mean, hours and hours I could go on, but we're going to take a short break, everyone. If you missed any part of this, this show will be replaying tonight and will be available on the Transformation Network, excuse me, TransformationTalkRadio.com and the TheDrPatShow.com. We'll be right back. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.